You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Good morning, Grace Church. I'm so glad that you're here. I also want to welcome those worshiping with us online. We say hello to you. Man, it's been a beautiful weekend. This cooler weather has been nice. Uh, My name's Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here. I am the North Overland Park campus pastor. Can I get some love for North Overland Park? Yep. I'm just a little excited about that. But anyway, so we're in the middle of a series called Battle Lines. Pastor Tim and his son last week kicked off our series as we wrapped up our summer breakout and we looked at the story of Gideon, how Gideon was a warrior in faith. And so we're looking at this series called Battle Lines and what does it mean to go to battle for the next generation? How can we go to fight for them? And so as I begin to think of the word battle and thinking of battle lines, I begin to think of my favorite movies. I'm not a huge movie buff, but I love war movies. And there is nothing better than a good war movie. Not only that, there's nothing better than a good war movie with Mel Gibson, all right? So, you know, Mel Gibson, the movie Patriot, one of the best movies of all time. I love this movie. I don't know why, it's just awesome, all right? There's a lot of cool shooting and fight scenes and all that stuff. So anyway, so if you've never seen this movie, you need to, all right? If your kids are small, maybe they should wait till they get older, but watch it. Anyway. So let me set the stage. During the Revolutionary War, the Redcoats are fighting. And, uh, and so this, this community, these men are trying to decide, are we going to go to war? And so Mel Gibson was a warrior before. He fought in the French and Indian War. He went to battle. He was like a war hero. And so he was, he's seen how horrific it was. He didn't want anything to do with it. And he even gave a speech of like, there's no way I'm going to agree to this. I am not going to battle. Well, fast forward a little bit. So the war is taking place, he's at his home, and the British are beginning to invade his property in that area, and his son is taken as a prisoner of war. And he's trying to talk to this general, say, no, no, give me uh, my son uh, back, and he's like, no, 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 and the younger brother's like, let's go get him, and he's like, no, no, I'm not going to fight. I am not going to battle right now. But the son said, forget this, he breaks loose and runs... After his brother, and this general turns around and shoots Mel Gibson's son, and he dies. Dies in his arms. And then he goes to his little shed area, opens his trunk, gets all his firearms, all his axes and all that, and he's going to war. And it took something very tragic to happen for him to be willing to do this. And I was thinking with our kids... Our grandkids, our nieces and nephew, is it going to take something tragic to happen for us to go to battle for them and their souls for the next generation? The next two weeks, we're going to look at what it means to raise a worshiper and a warrior. Today, we're going to look at what it means to raise a worshiper. And we need to realize there is a battle going on for their souls every single day, for their identities. What were their identity being? Every time they go see a commercial, they walk into school, there is pressure for them to conform to this world. For their eyes, every time your child pops open their computer or their tablet or looks on the phone, there is temptation right there. 
When they get on social media, the temptation to compare themselves to others, the bullying that takes place, there is a battle that's going on for the souls of the next generation. Did you know that the level of anxiety that kids deal with today, when they get to 8th grade and up into high school, upper middle school into high school, the pressure to perform, the pressure of everyone looking at them, the things they face, the expectations that are there, is the same level. The anxiety they deal with on a daily basis is the same level as, of anxiety that someone would be admitted to an institution in the 40s or 50s. It is insane what our kids are dealing with today. There is a battle that's going on for their souls. For their time, for their energy. And the question is, what will we do? Are we willing to go to battle? Are we willing to invest in the next generation? Whether it's serving in grace kids, grace students, being intentional with our kids. Are we willing to go to battle? Because I wholeheartedly believe if we are going to take this battle on, then we need to understand it is important to worship first and then raise a generation of worshipers. If we want to equip a generation to be able to go into this battle, they need to understand what it means to worship. Let's pray. God, I pray for us today. I don't know everyone's story here, but I know this, that you love them. God, raising kids is the hardest thing we'll ever do. Having grandkids can be extremely taxing at times. God, and I know there's probably people in here where their kids are struggling even right now. Maybe they're being rebellious, dealing with self-worth issues, have no friends. Maybe their kids are grown and not walking with Jesus. God, I'm sure the whole idea of parenting and raising our kids brings up a lot of emotions. But God, I pray that we will not leave here feeling guilty. But God, we'll leave here knowing that you can empower us to impact our kids however old they are. And if we don't have kids, that we can impact the next generation in mighty and powerful ways through your spirit, through your word. God, be with us as we look at what it means to raise a generation of worshipers. In name we pray. Amen. So if we're going to look at what it means to raise worshipers, we need to understand what worship is. And so if you're taking notes, please, uh, you can write on your phone, your tablet, right there in the handout. The definition of worship is this. Reflecting the character, heart, and nature of God for His glory, others' good, and our joy. I'll say that again. Reflecting the character, heart, and nature of God for His glory, others' good, and our joy. What does that mean to reflect His character? What does that mean to reflect His heart and nature of God? It means we are His image bearers. It means we are to be a mirror. We're to reflect His glory. God is a good God, and He is a just God. He is a powerful God. He has a heart of grace and mercy so much that he sent his son to die to make us right with him. He gave us his grace and his compassion and then the power of the resurrection. If we are to worship, we are to reflect this power. We are to be his hands and feet. We are to focus on him, not for our benefit, but for his. It's reflecting his character, the character of God we see through all 66 books right here. Reflecting his heart that he cares for the least of these. We're to reflect him. That's a way of worship for his glory. To point everyone back to him for others' good. There are people that are lost that need a savior. 
And the way that we worship is to point others to him so they can find hope. They can find life. And for our joy, there is nothing better than worshiping. The joy that comes reflecting the goodness of God. The joy that comes of standing in his presence and singing his praises. The joy that comes knowing that we're investing in a generation that they can display the glory of God. There is nothing better. This is what worship is. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. That way Mel Gibson can stop looking at me, you know. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So Paul's saying, by the mercies of God that I present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That everything that we are, that our bodies will be a living sacrifice, holy, which means to be set apart. Not like this world, means to be set apart to the things of God, acceptable to God. Which is your reasonable service. Other translations, which is your spiritual act of worship. Let's read on. In verse 2. Almost there. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he says, do not be conformed to this world. We're not supposed to look like this world. If we're going to raise a generation, we need not to look at this world, but what does it look like? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. This is what God desires of us. Not to look like the world, but to look like Him. Not to look like the darkness that goes around all around us, but to look like God the Father. And see, this seems pretty daunting. You say, like, how in the world do we do this? With all the distractions that are going on, with all the temptation that is there, how do we do this? And I love when God gives us a roadmap. And He does in His Word. And let's go to Deuteronomy 6, and that's where we're going to spend time. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 4. So, this is the Shema, which was a prayer that parents would memorize, and then they would teach it to their kids, and they would memorize this. And this was important for them. This is a part of their heritage. It says, listen. The Hebrew word listen here means you better pay attention. I remember when my dad was a preaching and I would be sitting, I would be talking. He would snap his fingers and he'd go like this from the pulpit. Why would he do that to me? But regardless, I knew that I was supposed to listen at that point. You know, when you say to your kids, listen to me, look at me, my eyes, this is what's going on here. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. One God who is worthy to be worshipped. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Our first point is raising worshipers requires intimacy. Raising warriors requires intimacy to worship. You can give the kids as many cool toys as you want. You can give your kids the best opportunities for sports or activities or music. They can go to the best college. None of that is nearly important. Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas is your love for Jesus. It has to stem out of that. Everything has to flow through that. Everything has to flow through your worship and your intimacy with the king. That is the best and most important thing you can offer your kids. So if we're going to look at what it means to be intimate, we need to understand what intimacy means. It means closeness. 
you're familiar with something. Friendship. Pursuing those you love. This is what our worship with the Lord, this is what our intimacy with Him should look like. I love my wife. I love spending time with her. I rather I, I can't wait to grow old with her. Oh, I guess we are growing old, yeah? Three kids will do that to you. I, we love watching the same things. We love talking about the same things. We love going to the same stores. We just love those type of things. She, and when I'm, I have a hard day, she knows because we communicate what I need. When she's having a tough time, I know sometimes I need to come home and just help right away because we have intimate conversations. We're on the same page. We pursue each other through time and intentionality. That is how our relationship with the Lord should look like. We need to be intimate, close with Him. And communication. How do we do that practically? With our time, with our talent, with our treasure. Let's start with our time. If we're going to be intimate, if we're going to love Jesus, if we're going to display His glory, if we're going to raise a generation of worshipers, we need to understand that the best parts of our time need to go pursuing our God. I had a friend who used to work at Grace. She still goes to church here. But she said, you know what? The best part of my day... It's from about 10 to 10.30. And at that time, I push pause on every task list, every to-do list, and I spend time with Jesus. But so often, we get distracted, and he gets the worst of our time. Our best time needs to go into pursuing him. It's so rich. If Lindsay and I didn't pursue each other and didn't take time for each other, there's no way we would know what's going on. What a great way for your kids to see you worshiping the Lord by seeing that you carve out time for Him. When you come and worship on the weekends, that it is a priority for you and your family. When you go to Grace Group, it's a priority for you to be in community discipling one another. It is a priority. Not only our time but our talent. Many of you are gifted with many things, whether you're a doctor, whether you stay at home with your kids, whether you're mom or dad, whether you make coffee for a living, whether you're an artist, a photographer, a teacher, a lawyer, whatever it is you do, do you use your talent, what God has gifted you at for his glory as a platform to project his goodness and his love to those around us. That is worship. That is intimacy. Use it for His glory, for His purpose, for His kingdom, for His power. He deserves our talent. What a way to worship Him. Not only that, but our treasure. So I love some of my things. One is I love my green grass. It's a borderline idol, okay? It's all right, you can judge me. I don't even like it when the neighborhood kids run in my yard because it messes up my lines. If you know any support groups, let me know. <sighs> I even text a picture of my fresh cut lawn to my friends to make them jealous. It's awesome. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, anyway, and I love my house. I love it being clean. We're one of those homes where you take your shoes off and I like everything in its place and there are some friends that will just like move something just to mess with me. I pray for them. But anyway, it's something I treasure. I enjoy it. I like coming home. I like it being peaceful. I like doing that stuff. 
The question is, am I willing to use my treasure for him? Am I willing to have people in my home? Am I willing to use those very things that I love as an act of worship? As an act of taking time, of being intimate with the Lord and then intimate with the community so they can see Jesus. Things themselves are not bad. Money is not bad. My question is, is do we worship with it? Do we worship the Lord with it? Our kids need to see us with our time, with our talent, our treasure, that that is first and foremost an act of worship. Because the reality is, we are always worshiping. We're His image bearers. We bear the image of God. We're always worshiping. The question is, what is it we're worshiping? Because intimacy is often hindered by idolatry. Our spiritual intimacy is often hindered by idols in our lives. And I was just um, reminded of this even more on Facebook. I put out a question this week. I said, what are some idols that we deal with in our culture today? And about 60 some odd people commented like within an hour and a half. Whether there's a lot of idol worship going on around here. Or two, people just need to confess. Or three, people had opinions on it. But it was crazy the amount of things that people were expressing, okay? And so uh, here was like four areas, as I look through patterns of it, that people deal with in idols and culture in society today. And the first is this, the idol of comparison. So often, people compare their lives to others. One mom wrote, you know, every day I get on Instagram or I get on Facebook and I see this person's house or the way their kid is dressed, the way that they're going about life, and I feel bad about myself. And I'm constantly comparing my life to others. It's become an idol in my life. It is toxic for our souls. And the problem is when we begin to care more about what others think than what God thinks, that's idol worship. Not only the idol of comparison, but the idol of busyness. Do we have margin in our lives to worship the Lord? Every single moment of our days can be booked. From when we wake up to when we go to bed. From the amount of activities going on, the task list that we have. People say, we have no margin in our life to be intimate with the Lord. We have no margin in our life to raise a generation of worshipers because we are always busy. We are exhausted non-stop. Not only that, the idol of technology. Some dads are writing on there. Some moms are writing on there. You know what? I'm at my kid's game and I'm looking at my email half the time. I go to the choir concert. I'm connected to work. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is look at my email and everything I have to do. When I go to bed, the first last thing I do is look at my calendar the next day. We are always connected 24-7. We story everything we do. We're connected all the time. It's the way that people used to. People would have different um, maybe drugs of choice. A lot of the drug oftentimes for people now is just zoning out on technology so they can numb themselves. Is this an idol that you deal with? The last one that was a common theme was the idol of sports and activities. From band to music to dance to cheerleading to basketball to baseball, it dominates people's calendars. It's what you think about all the time. And again, these themselves are not bad, but when they take the place of God, we are missing 
what it means to worship the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength as we see in Deuteronomy 6. Our kids need to see us love Jesus. Let's read on to verse 6. Here we go. And these words which I command you shall be in your heart. Meaning, you need to know this. You need to be intimate with Him. You need to memorize it. You need to spend time with Him. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Our second point is this. Raising worshipers requires intentionality. And if we're going to be intentional, that means we need to be present. You know, someone said to me this week, it's not about the presence I give to my kid as far as gifts. It's about me being present with them, which is more important. If we're going to raise a generation of worshipers that are going to battle, if we're going to go to battle for our kids, we need to be intentional. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. And these words I command you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently. Teaching is so important. You need to teach them, be very specific on moments of the day that you can teach them God's goodness and His grace and His love. Part of teaching is being vulnerable with them. It's just not preaching at them or talking down to them. It means talking with them, teaching them the things of God, what He's done in your life, how God has shown you something, how He's taught you to walk in faith, how He's taught you to be more vulnerable, how He's taught you to be in community. Those things are important to teach our kids. You shall talk of them. When you sit in your house. As a student pastor for many years, parents would say, man, I try to talk to my kids. They just zone out. They don't listen. I say, just be consistent. Be persistent. Because they know that you care when you're asking them questions. And don't just ask them closing questions. Hey, did you have a good day? Yes or no? How about this? Hey, tell me, Joshua, did you have a good day? Tell me about that. What was the best part of your day? What are you dealing with right now? How can I pray for you? Talk with them. Communicate with them. Be intentional. Be present with them. The, one of the greatest times to talk is in the car. You have them captive. It's a great redeem those moments of your day. That's what I love about this passage of scripture. It's not you have to have this hour and a half Bible study every day. It's how do you redeem the moments as you wake up till you go in bed? How do you redeem these moments in your day to point them to God, have spiritual conversations? Not only to talk to them, but when you walk by the way. Walking by the way means walking with them, not in front of them or behind them, but with them. What it means to walk by the way means to connect to their heart, doing things that they enjoy with them. I'll never forget, Emerson and I were... um, Play, I, we just got done playing baseball. Came in, let's go throw the football now. And he goes, Dad, you always do things that you want to do. I said, shut up, child. No. Um. <laughs> no one turned me in. I didn't say that. Okay. Um, he goes, can you just do something I enjoy? And in that moment, I was convicted. It's not always about what I want to do. He likes to play video games sometimes. I hate video games. I think they're a waste of time and energy. I got a lot of amens in the last several services. <laughs> Maybe y'all need the same lesson I did anyway. But you know what? I went down there and played Lego Star Wars with him. And we had the best time. And then after that, we just started talking. And it was so rich in conversation. 
It was so rich in truth because I walked with him. The thing is, we, we often just go to telling them, telling them, telling them, and we don't connect to their hearts. They need us to connect to their hearts. And the way we do that is doing things that they enjoy at times. Listen to the music they listen. Sit down there while they're playing a game. Just go on walks. Have fun. Walk by the way with them throughout your day and when you lie down. I don't know about you, but my kids get really chatty at nighttime because they try to prolong bedtime. But what a great time. Have conversations. Oh, my daughter, Eliana, Ellie the princess, I love it. She just wants to snuggle in and she just wants to talk. And she wants to, she says, Dad, her favorite thing is, Dad, tell me stories of when you were little. And we just talk about it. Also, when you lie down, I think my favorite part of the day is when they're asleep. One, they can't talk back. But, but in all seriousness, man, I love redeeming this time. That's when I can go to battle and pray for my kids. Not prayers like, hey, God, be with my kids as they go throughout their day. Amen. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. Die before I should wake. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, yada, yada. Those aren't bad. But what if our prayers look like this? Guys, I am not perfect as a parent. I lose my temper. I get frustrated. I can be short. I can rush through the day. But your shows can wait. Your technology can wait. That couch can wait a few more minutes. Because what if our prayers look like this? God, I pray for Ellie. I pray for Ellie that she'll be a woman who fears the Lord. God, I pray that her identity will be in you, not in this world. God, I pray for her future husband that one day he will give his life to Christ. He will lead her spiritually. God, I pray for Eliana. Her name means God has answered our prayer. Lord, I pray for her. You gave her as a gift to us. And God, I want her identity to be solely in you. And that she'll be willing to go anywhere and do anything for you. And God, I pray for Emerson. His name means strong and powerful leader. Not that he'll be a leader so people look at him, but he will reflect your glory and lead people to Jesus, God, that he'll be willing to go anywhere in the world for your kingdom. God, that sports will not be his focus. Academics will not be his focus. Those are all good things. But Lord, your word will be his focus. That's what I pray. I pray for Everett. His his name means brave. God, I pray that Everett will be a Jesus follower, that he will give his life to you. And Lord, that he'll be willing to go the deepest part of the jungle, the driest of deserts to proclaim your glory. God, I pray that his heart will be wrapped up in you. That he will not have to deal with the things of this world, but God, he'll be so in love with you that he will walk with you. What if our prayers look like this? Because guys, don't miss this, please. Grandparents, don't miss this. If you're not praying for your kids, if you're not praying for your grandkids, if you're not praying for your nieces and nephew, who is? This is a battle. It says in Ephesians 6, this battle is not between flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness. And then it goes on and shows us the arm of God, that we can pray the arm of God for ourselves and for our kids. Let's go to battle. Let's go to fight. Let's read on. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, not only do we teach them, but then they have reminders of 
scripture. They'd actually have scripture on their forehead. Boxes of scripture on their sleeves, on their arms. They would write them on the doorposts of their house. So when you actually go into their homes, you'd see scripture on the doorposts, on their gates. They were very specific on what they allowed to influence their home. And my question is, are we willing to be protective and go to battle for what we allow to influence our home? It's a battle. Then you move on to verse 20, and I'll just read this to you guys. There's going to be moments when you're investing in the next generation. There are going to be moments when you make priorities. When a Sunday comes and you're going to say, you know what, church is our priority, not the lake. There are going to be moments to come when you say, you know what, church is for our priority and not the ball game. There are going to be moments to come, a family time and us talking about the goodness of God as priority, not your friends. They're going to ask you, why all this? Why these rules? Why do we do this? I love it in verse 20. Moses writes, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Why? He said, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. They were in captivity and God delivered them. See, I was a sinner, but God set me free. And when my kids ask me why, I'm going to say because I was in bondage of sin. I was in a dark place and God sent his son to die for me. And I can taste the goodness of God because he loved me so much that he died for me. And he died for you too. That's why. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. God stood up for his people. God met them there. And when my kids ask me why, because God has done a mighty work in our lives. God has come through over and over and over again. I remember when Lindsay had her miscarriage and our kids were even crying. It was hard for them. But we said, God has been faithful and he will be faithful again. And then when Everett was born, we reminded our kids about the faithfulness of God. That's why we do this. He brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers, the promised land. Guys, there's heaven someday. And we're going to go there and we're going to worship God for all eternity. Every tear will be wiped away and we will be at the throne of God singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the Lord commanded us to do all these. Hey, yeah, come on. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statues, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. The last point is raising worshipers causes us to live for more than this world. And when we do that, we'll see a generation of worshipers. And when they go to battle in the schools, when they go out to college, as our kids grow and you have grandkids, they will be able to take on this world because they have the Lord the God who loved them, who saved them, and they live to worship him. Now you might be in here saying, you know what, my kids are struggling. Keep praying for them, just like the prodigal son. He ran away, but that dad still had grace, he had love, and he never gave up. Do not give up. Do not give up. Let's pray. God, I love you. Thank you and I praise you. Lord, I pray we'll be a church that invests in the next generation and that we will raise the generation of worshipers. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.